Welcome into Division Two Sports. Today is Thursday, March 18th. Blake and myself are recording live while Chris will be joining us via Zoom after hitting the beach all week. Chris, how is it up there just south of Myrtle Beach? Man, it's nice. It's nice up here. A little windy, but we're having a good time. We've been enjoying some college basketball up here. Well, Blake and I are at the Gator House, and Blake, we are only a short time away from the NCAA tournament kicking off. How pumped are you for Friday to get going? Man, I can't wait. I am so excited for this tournament. Um, I'm hoping COVID doesn't come in and screw it up. Uh, but, you know, man, I'm excited. Lots of, uh, lots of crazy stuff. It is March Madness. So who knows what's about to happen? That's right. Well, we got a great episode for all of our listeners. We talk about NFL free agency, which has been great so far. And as just mentioned, the NCAA tournament. So let's get into it. That's right. The NCAA tournament will kick off Friday in Indianapolis. They are doing a bubble format similar to the NBA's last year in Orlando. But the bracket is out. Sunday it came out, um, 6.30 on CBS, and the number one seeds were awarded to Gonzaga, Illinois, Baylor, and Michigan. But Blake, right off the bat, what are some games that immediately pique your interest? All right, so I got a long list of them, but I'm going to give you my favorite four. Um, So I'm going to start with the uh, West region and uh, the eight and nine matchup between Oklahoma and Missouri immediately jumps off the page to me. I think that's going to be an ultra competitive game, not just based on the seeding, but I think that Missouri is a team that could give Oklahoma a little bit of trouble. Um, You know, Missouri lost this season a couple times in games that they probably should have won, but Oklahoma is a team that's done the same thing in the Big 12. So I think that game is one that we could watch. And then the winner, of course, is more than likely going to face off against Gonzaga. So that's a big time matchup. Let's go down here to the east. I'm very excited for BYU, the sixth seed against the winner of Michigan State and UCLA, which is a play-in game. And I'm really excited for that playing game because, you know, you have those two, two old schools that have a lot of history with their basketball programs behind it. That's a lot, lot to look forward to there. Um, I also really like uh, a couple of guys that are on BYU's team. I think that they're very good. Um, I think that that's going to be a much, must-see matchup in the East. Um, I'm also looking over here at the South. I like Villanova and Winthrop. Um, Ford and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, Winthorpe has a guy, he's really interesting to me. He's probably going to be a first round pick potentially borderline next year. He's very athletic. I'm forgetting how to say his name. It's one of those, uh, two last names, like the deranged man, but, um, not Turner Scruggs, is it? No, it's not Turner Scruggs. That'd be an easy mix up, but I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure if, if we were talking baseball, that'd be him. But, uh, and then I'm going to go down here guys to the Midwest. And I've been high on them lately, but Oklahoma State against Liberty. Liberty has a really outstanding record this year. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how Oklahoma State starts off this tournament because Oklahoma State, they could, uh, they could make some noise, eventually maybe line up against Illinois. They could, uh, they could be a Cinderella team here. Uh, yeah, well, a game, a game that I automatically went to as soon as I saw this bracket come out was Syracuse versus San Diego State. As we know, Syracuse is always on the bubble. Jim Beheim loves that bubble. I mean, sometimes he knows more than Joe Lenardi does. But they got in after uh, exiting the NCAA tournament. Um, but they got in. They're going to play San Diego State as three-point underdogs. But I love watching Syracuse in March. I mean, there's reason to believe that Jim Beheim is good enough of a coach to where they could win this game. Maybe they could upset West Virginia the following game. Um, so I will be on the lookout from, for the orange down there. Um, but other games, you know, you got to look at UNC versus Wisconsin. Uh, that's going to be up in the south, the 8-9 game. UNC has been very hot in the second half of the season, while Wisconsin has been very competitive in Big Ten play. Uh, so those are my two games to uh, be on the lookout for. Chris, what do you like? I'm going to take us out to the east, uh, the east region and those pesky 5-12 matchups. you got the Colorado Buffalo who were just upset in their conference turn, uh, championship game versus Georgetown, who just came away uh, winning their uh, Big East still? Yep. I believe so. Big East, yep. Winning, yeah, winning, winning their conference championship. And, I mean, this is a tough one. This, we all know the 5-12 games are, you know, the pinpoint ones where we see two to three of them 
uh, hit every first round. And I think I'm almost going to have to go with Georgetown at the 12 seed coming off that conference uh, win. Colorado might be a little bit down on themselves. And, hey, you're John Thompson. We'll ride with them. Another one that is very, very, very tough out in the Midwest region is going to be that 8-9 matchup. Georgia Tech, who just won the ACC with a very impressive win over Florida State. But they're going up against eight-seed Loyola Chicago. We got word today that Sister Jean will be in attendance. And are we really in a position to bet against Loyola Chicago in the first round? Based on what happened a few years ago, hell no. I, I mean, that's, that's what's one. crazy with that game, too. And I'm sure that based on Georgia Tech just winning the ACC, they're going to have a little bit of movement, too, with the public going towards them the more time that goes by. I'm not exactly sure what the, what the line is on that game, but um, I know that Josh Pastner, the coach at Georgia Tech, came out today and he said that there was a, uh, a COVID case. Uh-oh. So that could be a little bit of a scare for the team. They better hope that that guy's isolated and that he doesn't screw up the chances of them playing in that game. You know how the boys in Atlanta are. It could be the curse of Sister Jean. I don't know, guys. Maybe, maybe. Um, but I agree with you, Chris. I like that Colorado-Georgetown matchup because, as we know, um, Georgetown was not very good coming into, this, coming into this tournament. I mean, they played really well in this tournament. Um, but what did they – I mean, just a couple games above 500. So, that's one to watch. I lo- I'm, as you said, I love these 12-5 seeds. And one to mention also is Creighton versus UC Santa Barbara. Uh, UC Santa Barbara has had an unbelievable year um, out there. I, I don't know. Something I heard was that they had a bunch of transfers or something. But be on the lookout for Santa Barbara versus Creighton, especially after Creighton just got absolutely smacked by Georgetown. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people just penciling in Creighton looking at UCSB. Yeah, don't even know the letters. I mean, it's like, it's like when uh, Virginia lost to UMBC. You're like, huh? Yeah. I don't know, guys. I think that, you know, that, that game, I, I got to go with Creighton in that game. But, you know, the next game they may have to face a team like Virginia. So uh, they, they may need uh, Kyle Corver to come back and uh, play for them if they think they're going to beat Jay Wright and the boys. Well, let's go to this West region real quick because that's where the favorite Gonzaga is coming out of. Uh, Gonzaga's got a relatively easy path. I know the books were setting them at like minus 200 to even make the final four. Um, but there are some other good teams in this region, some of them being Iowa, Kansas, and Virginia. However, Gonzaga had already beaten them at the end of the year – or excuse me, at the start of this year. Um, Blake, I'll start with you. Do you see Gonzaga coming out of this region? And if not, who are the teams that can contest them? So I don't have Gonzaga coming out of the region. And you'd make a little bit of money if you tailed me on that, I think. Uh, I'm not going to completely encourage the listeners to do so. But Gonzaga, I think Ford and I were looking at it earlier. They're like, I think, minus 200 to win their region. And you got to think, guys. Virginia's probably a little bit pissed off that they didn't get a little bit more of a say in that ACC tournament because they might have been a higher seed. Um, I also think that Jay Wright is such a good coach. you got to have a little bit of respect immediately on Virginia. Um, Kansas is going to obviously be up there as well. That team is, is not yet hitting their stride, even though they're a three seed. I expect them to get a little bit hot in the tournament. Um, I just don't think that Gonzaga is a tournament team. I know they've made it to the championship before, but the fact that they've never won a national championship sticks out to me. I know they have all these great players, and, you know, they're, they're considered to be the best team in the country and the clear-cut favorite, but I'm not in on them yet. And I think that they're in the toughest region of this tournament, which that sucks if you're Gonzaga. That's tough. It's pretty tough. You got a team like Iowa as a second seed. I'm very high on Big Ten basketball right now. I mean, I think that that's some of the best basketball we've seen in college throughout this season. And Luka Garza and that Iowa squad is going to be no easy uh, team to run by. Yeah, um, that is certainly going to be an exciting region to watch just because I think I think Gonzaga is the clear favorite. I think they're a clear favorite for a reason. I mean, they've been unbelievable this year, not even losing a game. But there are some teams that can contest them, as Blake mentioned. Uh, Kansas, even Iowa, like Chris mentioned, and if Virginia can get to the 316, that's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, but I'll move down to the East, which I think is the toughest of the regions, uh, despite what Blake says. You have so many good teams, the top four seeds being Michigan, Alabama, Texas, and Florida State. 
in this region. But Michigan, uh, they lost to Illinois in the Big Ten tournament. But there's reason to believe that they should come out of this region. Blake believes. Why is that, Blake? I just like the way that they play the game. I think that they're such a good team, top to bottom. I've said it all year, but I really think that the difference with this team is that they have these big men that just set the tone in the paint the entire game. Um, you know, I think of Franz Wagner immediately with his, his leap that he's taken this year. I also think of a bunch of other guys that they have. When it comes down to it, though, Jawan Howard is the reason that I'm all in on this team. I like that energy that he showed during the tournament, even though they didn't walk away with the trophy. I just think that Michigan is a team with a chip on their shoulder, too. They didn't like the way they finished the season going into the uh, Big Ten tournament. They didn't like their showing in the Big Ten tournament. And I think that Jawan Howard is a little bit pissed off at the way things went down in that, uh, was it the Maryland game? I believe so. When he got yeah, ejected. yeah. When he got ejected, and you know, you never see a coach like that really show his emotion too much. He's always been a guy that's kind of stuck to himself. I remember him sitting on the bench back when the uh, the Miami Heat had that epic run when he was on Eric Spolster's staff, if I remember correctly. And I don't know, man. I just think that the Big Ten basketball, like Chris said, is just a different breed this year. They're the clear cut favorite in the East to me despite Alabama being a very talented basketball team. And they showed, Alabama showed that they're a resilient bunch. And ultimately, I think that the game of the tournament, not looking too far ahead, is Michigan and Alabama if we get there in the Elite Eight. I hope so. I, I, you know, I feel more comfortable taking Michigan out of uh, this region than I do Gonzaga out of theirs. And really, I think that's just because some of the competition around. I mean, Florida State did show that they are beatable. And, yeah, I mean, Alabama's had such a great season. And, you, you know, you, you, I do believe they can compete there, but they're not going to have an easy path either. I mean, round one, they're going up against greasy Rick Pitino's Iona squad. And, I mean, you know, I'm not going to doubt Rick Pitino this time of the year. I'm, I'm happy he's in there. But it's not going to be an easy path for Alabama to get to that Michigan game. I'm, I'm looking at the bracket right now, and I didn't even realize this, guys, until right now. But if somehow Maryland can pull off an upset, which I do think would be a big upset against UConn in the first round, there is also a chance that we could get that uh, Juwan Howard redemption game against Maryland. But it would be in the uh, Elite Eight, if so. That'd be quite the run for Maryland. That'd be a hell of a run. But, hey, like we said, man, that, that, that Big Ten basketball. Who knows? But one thing I will say is that stands out is LSU is very hot right now. Um, very hot. They played Alabama in the SEC championship game, just narrowly losing. So I'm going to take them over St. Bonaventure. And then the second round, I'm going to put Michigan on upset alert uh, uh -oh. against LSU. Not saying that they'll beat them. However, I will put them on alert compared to all the other eight, nine versus one seeds in the second round. Um, the South region is not extremely exciting. You know, you got Baylor, Ohio State, uh, kind of an easier region to come out of um but chris i'll start with you who are you taking to come out of the south i'm not going to take baylor i you know every year i kind of root for baylor and like i was saying uh, i believe in last week's show you know they do just love keeping their games close and you know this time of the year you cannot flirt with that we saw them lose in the big 12 champion or the big 12 tournament i don't know i mean you got a jay wright coach villanova team north carolina wisconsin i feel like this is going to be the region that we get one of those five to nine seeds come out maybe whether that be Florida uh, you know Arkansas is playing well even though they're three Villanova Wisconsin North Carolina I don't know this kind of feels like a wild card region yeah I see a lot of upsets in this region yeah uh, just by looking at it um, you know you got Arkansas who some people are saying Colgate could beat them in the first round just I can see any of these games being upsets other than the one and two seed. I'm looking at freaking Oral Roberts yeah, like, are we going to be sitting here on on Sunday looking at looking at who Oral Roberts is playing in the next round? Yeah, hey, I come on! Uh, I, I got no, the no, no, no. I'm agreeing with you. Maybe I mean it's 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 madness. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this: a team that I think the more that I look into that out of all the number one seeds is the most likely to be on upset alert. I know that Gonzaga I mentioned earlier, but really I was thinking about this more and more. And I don't know why, but I love this Purdue team against Baylor. If they, if they can get past, you know, whoever wins against Villanova and Winthorpe, I just think that Purdue, man, I think that Purdue could upset Baylor. And I think if they do that, you know, Ohio State-Purdue, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at a hell of a game there too. Purdue's a good basketball team, and Ohio State showed 
they're legit. You know, legitimacy is a real thing with those guys. They don't mess around over there. And, again, back to the Big Ten. That, that is a different breed of basketball right now. I think between them and the Big 12, they are above and beyond the two best conferences, and the ACC and the SEC and every other conference is following right now. And last but not least, the Midwest region. I have filled out a number of brackets, and in every single one of them I have the Illinois fighting Illini coming out of this region. Hell yeah. Uh, no disrespect to any other team. I, I mean, the only other team I could see that even gives this uh, – gives the Illini a chance is Oklahoma State. However, the Illini, I think, are above and far away the best team in this region, and I believe they will be playing in the Final Four. Yeah, I'm taking Illinois, actually, to win the whole thing. Um, we all know about Kofi Cockburn. This weekend we learned about A.O. DeWusso a.k.a. Batman, and a couple other dudes in their team, they play hard. And, I mean, that second round against either Loyola Chicago or Georgia Tech is going to be pretty tough for them. And then, you know, if they keep winning and getting up to Oklahoma State, is going to be tough for them as well. But I think they're a really, really good team. They just won the best conference in basketball. They play really hard, and they got some awesome players. I'm going to take them to, t- to win the whole thing. I like that take a lot, man. I mean – how do you not like Cockburn and how do you not like AO, man? AO is 6'5. And he's a national player of the year candidate this year. And I think he's going to be a hell of a professional player. And it's crazy because he hit his stride so late. He's a junior. A lot of these guys hit it much earlier. You see, again, in the same, in the same region with Cade Cunningham um, being a freshman. So I look over at that region right there and I see a lot of games that you could have upsets in. Um, I was actually tempted to take Oregon State over Tennessee that round. I think a lot of us, even though Georgia Tech's probably going to be the favorite, are probably going to lean towards Loyola Chicago. Um, Yeah, Sister Jean, man. But Syracuse over San Diego State. Um, I think a lot of us are rolling with Rutgers over Clemson. I know Rob is not very high on Houston. So that's that's kind of the, the garbage region aside from maybe three or four teams. But that's also the region that I'm going to pay the most attention to because who knows what's going to happen. I do think that, you know, the one, the two teams that I sign off on making it all the way and playing each other in the, fi- in the finals in the championship game is going to be the Wolverines and the fighting Illini. I think we're going to have an awesome matchup in the championship game. Um, you know, pretty high scoring. I think that these teams are elite at what they do. And I'm excited to watch the Midwest, even though I really don't know what's going to happen aside from Illinois making it all the way. Well, I mean, I've looked at this bracket a number of times, and I think the inevitable is going to happen. I think Gonzaga is going to play Illinois in the national championship. They are the most dominant teams this year. I mean, you have a number of factors going on in this tournament. You have teams coming off of COVID. You have teams not even playing in tournaments. So, like like every other uh, sport this year, I'm going to take the two most dominant teams um, I don't think they get upset. I'm going to take the Zags and the Illini in the championship, and I'm going to take the Illini to take it home. I got to say this real quick, though, just to let, 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 it, uh, let the elephant out in the room. Uh, apparently, Pepto-Bismol, their stock is through the roof right now. Dick Vitale has apparently bought out all of the Pepto-Bismol, and I think he's getting ready for this March Madness tournament, making sure he doesn't have any tummy aches dur- during the program. So – I'm glad that Dickie V's taking this seriously, man. Yeah, well, uh, I know we're certainly excited to be getting this NCAA tournament rolling. It will start on Thursday with the first four, um, which is going to be awesome. I mean, you mentioned that this Michigan State-UCLA game, I think everyone is looking forward to it. Um, so we'll get that rolling on Thursday. Give and- a shout-out to uh, – hey, give, give a shout-out to uh, Wichita State. Wichita State – or not Wichita State. Uh, Wichita State's playing Drake. Wichita State is a tournament team. Um, you know, they, they've shown in the past that they can be competitive in these tournaments. Um, you know, they're going up against Drake. Drake, not Aubrey. Uh, Drake is actually, you know, probably my favorite team this year to bet on um, from a college perspective. They've been spread warriors. They've been killing the spread all year. Um, you know, I don't know a ton about the team itself, but – I know one thing about USC in that first round, and Evan Mobley's playing in that. And, uh, you know, he's a hell of a player. So I'm excited to see. I am going to be rooting for Drake, though, just because I want to see if they'll uh, be able to maybe make a little bit of a run and cover some spreads for the boys in the tournament. 
Yeah, uh, first four Thursday. First round will be Friday and Saturday, and the second round will be Sunday and Monday, leading into next week's show when we will preview the Sweet 16. Um, but we're certainly excited for that, certainly excited to get all of the TVs rolling. We'll now move on to our interview with Atlanta Falcons long snapper Josh Harris. We talked about his time as a student athlete at Auburn, the Falcons run to the Super Bowl, and our new head coach, Arthur Smith. Finish up the show with recent news around the NFL, but here he is, Josh Harris. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. Well, today we are joined by the long snapper for our hometown Atlanta Falcons, Josh Harris. Josh, welcome into Division Two. Hey, appreciate you guys having me. Well, Josh, we'll start out with your uh, playing days in college. You spent a few years in Auburn where you won a BCS National Championship in 2010. What was your time like in Auburn, and uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that experience? Well, you know, one of the uh, the coolest things about my experience there was uh, my, my family is a huge Auburn family. Um, I grew up a huge Auburn fan. Uh, my grandfather played on the 1957 national championship team there. Um, coming out of high school, I wasn't uh, recruited really anywhere. So I decided to walk on. Uh, I had some coaches in high school kind of pushing me to, to do that. And so I gave it a shot. And uh, that was in 2007. And I ended up redshirting that year. I was a backup in 08 and then was able to start uh, 2009, 10, and 11. So we, uh, I kind of experienced a whole lot of uh, like ups and downs of, of college ball. I mean, had a season where, you know, we weren't very good, didn't go to a bowl game. Um, and then, as you mentioned, we had a, a great season in 2010 that, uh, that ultimately uh, came, you know, together with a game-winning field goal to, uh, to beat Oregon in the national championship. So, just a lot of fun. I mean, met just a bunch of great guys, a bunch of lifelong friends, learned a lot about myself, you know, just to the limits that I could push myself. I mean, waking up at 5 a.m. to go, you know, do these winter workouts and stuff like that. There's, uh, there's a lot to be said for, uh, for the growth, not only as a football player, uh, but as, as a man and as a, as a person that, uh, that happens when you're there. That had to be a really cool experience for you and your family. Uh, so while you were there, you were a member of Sigma Nu. Was it ever difficult to truly enjoy the social aspect of college while spending so much time on the field? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's, uh, it really was. Um, when I first got there, you know, I, I didn't know that football was going to be, you know, a thing. So I, uh, I rushed Sigma Nu. Uh, I'd also joined ROTC. And for a while there, I mean, it was rough. I mean, waking up at, you know, at five to go to PT and then go to football workouts after that and then kind of be expected to do some of the pledge ships you know, duties and things like that associated with the, uh, with the fraternity. But um, again, met, met a lot of great guys um, through Sigma Nu, you know, guys that I still am in touch with today. And uh, it was, I mean, from a social setting, uh, kind of tough, you know, to go to all the band parties and things like that. But I was able to make it to a few, you know, I was able to make it to most of the formals and things like that. And during the spring, you know, I was able to be a little more active uh, than, than, I, than I was in the fall. But it was really cool to be able to uh, experience that with, uh, with, with my, my fraternity brothers because I was, you know, part of Sigma Nu before I was part of the football team. And so I kind of got to share in that excitement of, hey, you know, now we're not just going to save seats at the stadium. Like, I get to wave to my guys up there in the stands. And so it was, uh, it was a really cool experience. Right. And Josh, as your time wrapped up in Auburn, you know, you made the move to the professional level. So I want to fast forward to that phase of your life. So what was it like when you got, got the call from Falcons owner Arthur Blank? And, you know, what has your experience been like as a member of the Atlanta Falcons? Well, I, I wish I could say that, uh, that I got that call from, uh, from Mr. Blank, but you know, my, my route was a little bit different. Um, you know, it was kind of funny. The, uh, the, day of the, like, the day the draft started that year in 2012, my dad was asking me, it was like first round, you know, that night. He's like, so, uh, you know, you, what do you want to do for, uh, for the draft tonight? I was like, dad, listen, this is not, if anything happens, it's not going to be tonight, you know, for me. So we actually went and played some golf that day and just kind of relaxed. And as the, uh, as the weekend kind of wound down, uh, I got a call from my agent saying, hey, Atlanta reached out. They had two seventh round picks uh, that year. And they said, hey, if you're still there, we're going to take you with one of them. And I watched two different names scroll across the screen, you know, because by that time, 
there it's just the bottom line, right? The ticker at the bottom showing, you know, who's, who's getting drafted and stuff. But uh, right after the draft ended, um, I signed an undrafted free agent deal uh, with Atlanta, which essentially was a glorified walk-on uh, opportunity again. So I felt pretty co- comfortable with, uh, you know, going and, and earning a, a spot. You know, I felt like I'd kind of been down that road and um, I was ready to accept the challenge. And, you know, I've been blessed to be here now going on my 10th season. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, back in Auburn too, you know, we've had some ups and had some downs, you know, we've, uh, you know, been to the biggest game, you know, played on the biggest stages. And uh, my goal now is just to, uh, to keep working hard and hopefully we can get back there and, and bring this city a championship. Right. And Josh, you came in the league in 2012 um, and yep. the Falcons had one of their best seasons in franchise history that year. Um, we won't talk about the NFC championship game, but you were part of arguably one of the most important moments in Falcon history when Matt Bryant hit a 49-yarder to essentially clinch the game for the Falcons. What was the atmosphere in the Georgia Dome like? And I got a question for you. Who hits a more epic fist bump, Matt Bryant or Tiger Woods? Oh, man, come on now. Uh, well, so, so, yeah, I mean, that game was, was awesome. And that year was, uh, was incredible. And as a rookie, you know, I didn't really kind of understand the magnitude of that yet. I mean, Tony Gonzalez was on that team. And I remember, you know, him telling us, like, listen, enjoy this, you know, embrace this moment and this opportunity because, you know, for a guy like him, he had been in the league for, for forever. And he, that was his first experience of playing playoff football. So, you know, as, here I am as a rookie, um, you know, and getting to play in, in, you know, on that stage, an NFC championship game. And, you know, the game before, obviously, that sent us there, uh, that field goal was huge, was huge. And, I mean, you're talking about Tiger Woods, who's my favorite athlete of all time, and Matt Bryant, who's one of my best friends. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to pick those, Um, you know. But in the moment right then, man, the Georgia Dome was unreal. I mean, the place came unglued. I mean, they they were playing some great music. But the cool thing was we got to hit that field goal twice. You know, they called a timeout on us right there before the first snap, and we missed that one. But then we were able to come back, and Bryant drilled the second one. And, uh, you know, that's something that, that I'll never forget. And I was just glad that I was able to do my part. You know, I mean, it was one of those things. Bryant was, was so automatic and so good that it was like, hey, just get this ball back to Bosher. Let Bosher put it down, and Bryant's going to do the rest. And that was just an awesome moment and something I'll never forget. So, Josh, going back to another uh, special season for Falcons fans, uh, 2016, obviously we all know how it ended and whatnot, but what memories and feelings do you have regarding that 2016 season? You know, I, I really, um, you know, just remember the, the locker room and the guys that were a part of that team and how close we were and, you know, how much we had, you know, gone through together. And to be able to go on a journey like that, you know, during the regular season, we kind of, you know, hit some road bumps, you know, speed bumps along the way, but we were playing great ball, you know, right when we needed to play it. And, uh, you know, to be able to, to play in the Super Bowl was, was awesome. Obviously, you know, the goal isn't to play or to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, the goal is to win it. And, uh, but to be able to, uh, to go out there and strap it up and, and play, you know, on that stage was, uh, was something that, I'll, that you know, again, I'll, I'll never forget. But, um, you know, having a taste of it, you know, that, that's all I want. You know, that's, that's what you play for. That's what you train for. You know, regular season games, you know, th- yeah, th- those, those matter and those count. And that's how you, you know, you handle your business, you know, in your division first to, uh, to punch your ticket to the playoffs. And then, you know, it, season starts over then. So to be able to, uh, to, to be a part of a team like that and to go on and to play uh, in the Super Bowl was, uh, was really rewarding. Um, obviously, I wish – you know, I could have the ring to show for it. You know, I've got the, the second place ring, the, the NFC championship one that kind of sits up in the, in the, in the cabinet, you know, doesn't really get opened up too much, but um, I do appreciate that opportunity, you know, and that those memories and um, hopefully we can get another opportunity, you know, another chance to right the ship and, and make it right. Josh, since you've entered the league, uh, you have missed very little playing time on the field. So what do you do to keep yourself ready to go uh, game in and game out? Yeah, you know, that was something that, that I had to figure out, you know, kind of for myself. Everybody's different. Everybody, you know, trains a different way. You know, my position's pretty obscure. Uh, you know, I, I'm not necessarily having to run routes, you know, and do things like that. But, 
there is an athletic, you know, side of, of, of snapping. And, you know, once I snap the ball, I'm responsible for blocking, you know, somebody in the A gap and then running down the field and trying to get in, you know, on a tackle or at least affect the, the coverage in a way to send that returner to, to one of my guys. And, um, you know, to your point about missing time, yeah, you know, a few years ago I had a hip injury. Those are the only games in my career that, uh, that, that I've missed. And, you know, knock on wood, hopefully that doesn't happen again. Um, but I, I take my job very seriously. I mean, I, I started training, you know, a few weeks ago, getting my body, my mind ready for, uh, for the upcoming season. Um, you know, just because I'm a long snapper doesn't mean that I'm, you know, kind of slacking off and, and you know, kind of hiding behind the scenes. I mean, that's one of, the, one of the ways that as a specialist, I'm able to kind of connect with my other teammates is in the gym, on the field, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, you know, competing in that space to, uh, to show them that, hey, listen, we all have a job to do, you know, each and every one of us on the team. And, you know, my job happens to be snapping the ball on fourth downs, you know, on kicks. And, uh, you know, I want those guys to know that, you know, I'm, I, I take that just as seriously as any of they, you know, any of them, you know, with, with their respective positions. And, you know, it's my job to, uh, to be the best that I can be. And uh, that's the way that I train. Right. And Josh, you mentioned, you know, you are the long snapper. So you've actually had a pretty cool opportunity to snap the ball for not one, but two. Pro Bowl kickers now and Young Way Koo and Money Matt Bryant. So what's similar in their preparation for kicks and what makes those guys so clutch? You know, I think it first starts with their preparation, you know, in, in the off season, having their, their, their body ready to go, having their, you know, their mindset is in the spot that it needs to be. Um, but one of the biggest takeaways that I find, and not, not just kickers, but I feel like specialists uh, in general is, you know, the, is not to rank plays if that makes sense. So a, like one of the things that I love about, you know, kickers is how they're able to treat each kick like it's the same kick, right? An extra point in the first quarter is just as important as a game winning kick in the end for us. You know, like when I go out there to snap, I mean, a punt in the first quarter, you know, if that, that's just as important as, as something in, in the end. And so, uh, you know, those guys have, shown that they've got you know more than enough ability to to be very successful obviously Bryant did it for a very long time and he was a mentor to me and you know made me you know a better snapper and a better person and now to see Koo kind of come in and uh, and have the success that that he's had and you know that doesn't surprise me at all because he's been through a lot you know he's been he's been on the workout circuit you know he's, he's had some some trials and tribulations you know and he's been able to come out on the other side of it and uh, I, I just am so happy for him to be able to have that kind of success. And, um, you know, I, I live vicariously through my punters and my kickers. So when they're, you know, so when they're having success, you know, I, I feel like I'm, you know, doing, you know, my job well enough to put them in a position to succeed. Right. And now to a little bit more of a somber topic here, maybe for you, Josh, uh, Coach Dan Quinn was let go in the middle of the 2020 season. You got to play under Coach Quinn for many seasons in Atlanta. And, you know, it was probably tough hearing the news that he was let go. So can you kind of just put us in the shoes of a Falcons player getting that news that, you know, the guy that got you to the Super Bowl wasn't there anymore? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I mean, in the NFL, the, the business of football, I mean, we all know that this is a results-oriented business, right? I mean, most businesses are that way. And, you know, when you're not winning games, you know, these are the types of things that happen the same way that if I'm not performing on the field, you know, I, I'm, I may not be there, you know, just like anybody else. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand that there is a personal side to a, a lot of this, you know, when we weren't playing well and, you know, DQ was let go, everybody's like, oh man, I bet you're glad to finally get, you know, some, some new blood in there to be able to turn the ship around. And, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you, you go through so many experiences on a football team together and that's, coaches that's players that's equipment that's you know the trainers you know the cafeteria I mean everybody in that building you know you're 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 working as as one unit and so to uh to see him go obviously was was tough but he's an old he's the ultimate competitor you know and he he really instilled that in us and you know I was just kind of disappointed that that we you know let him down right we didn't we didn't play well enough for, for him to be able to, uh, to have the wins necessary to, uh, to stay around. And that's just the nature of the business. You know, there's no hard feelings there. He's still, you know, a, a mentor to me and one of the best coaches I've ever played for. And I'm uh, very thankful for the time that I had with Coach Quinn and, you know, whoever he gets to, uh, to coach next, you know, that's a lucky bunch. And, uh, you know, he's going to continue to impact lives in a positive way.
Absolutely. So, Josh, 2020 wasn't exactly the season that the Falcons were hoping for. Um, can you kind of take us inside the team last season on kind of why that happened and why y'all maybe didn't meet some of the expectations? You know, it, it's hard to to put your finger exactly on the reason why, you know, we, we weren't able to, to win, you know, games. And a lot of them, you know, came down to the end. You know, there are a lot of games where it felt like we, you know, had it in the bag and we, you know, let it, let it go there towards the end, which is awful. I mean, that's a terrible feeling. You know, trust me, the same way any fan, you know, feels about, you know, us losing, you know, some of the games that, you know, that we should have won, we feel worse, you know, so it, it's not like, you know, we were out there trying to lose games or anything like that. I mean, we, we bust our tail year in, year out, you know, all season to try to go out there and win football games. And when we're not doing that, that's tough on everybody, you know, and obviously had a coaching change middle of the season. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of when your, your stripes are earned, you know, you, you still, we all still have a job to do. And you know, no matter who's calling the plays, no matter who's, you know, on the sidelines out there, you know, it's just us when we get out there in between those white lines. And so uh, no matter what the situation is, we just got to stay focused, you know, and ultimately we weren't able to, uh, to put together, you know, a season that any of us, you know, could say that we're proud of um, as far as record wise. Um, but all we can do now is go back to work. You know, that's in the past. We're moving forward, and uh, that's all you can do. Josh, there's some uh, speculation in the media currently around the team moving on from MVP quarterback Matt Ryan, which we are against. Um, but can you speak on what Matt Ryan is like in the locker room and the impact he has personally made on you? Yeah, you know, Matt, Matt's a great guy. Great guy, you know, and he, he obviously means a ton to not only this team but to the city. Um, he's been, you know, nothing short of a just true pros pro on and off the field, you know, what he does, you know, for the community and also the leader that he is, you know, in our locker room and on the field. And, uh, you know, his, his body of work, you know, speaks for itself, you know, the, the, the ability to, to get the ball out, to, you know, be able to, uh, to win some games. I mean, I know it might not seem like it, but, hey, Matty Ice is still Matty Ice, right? You know, that, that, you get that nickname for a reason. And, uh, you know, we all have a job to do. And Matt does a good job of pushing everybody. And, hey, even when Matt has to hold for some field goals, you know, he, he's game to, to get down in there. And, uh, you know, it's probably one of the most nervous moments of my entire career. It was like my first practice in uh, training camp, my rookie year. And uh, I go in. I'm already, you know, palms are sweaty. And they're like, hey, Matt, you get in there to hold. And he had, like, just signed, it, like, one of his new deals. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. If I throw a duck back here and break this man's finger, like I'm done. Like there's there's no way they're gonna they're gonna you know let let me stick around. But you know Matt's very you know approachable. He'll help you out in any way that he can, and he's been a good friend. And um, he's also a really good golfer too. So he's a great guy, and and uh, you know hope you know wish him nothing but the best and his you know moving forward for us as a team. So, Josh, moving forward, uh, the team's hired uh, Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith to be the next head coach. Uh, what are some of the expectations for the team uh, in 2021, and have you had any interaction with Coach Smith yet? I haven't had a chance to, uh, to meet Coach Smith yet. Um, I have had a chance to chat with our new special teams coach, uh, Marquise Williams, and so looking forward to, uh, to working with him. But, you know, obviously uh, Coach Smith has, has had a lot of success in Tennessee, um, as the offensive coordinator there, um, you know, I know he's going to come in and, you know, demand excellence from everybody, you know, at every position, you know, we're going to compete, we're going to be better. And, you know, the ultimate goal is obviously to win a championship, but that's going to start with our, our preparation now in the off season. That's going to, you know, continue into practices through training camp and uh, ultimately just growing, you know, together as a new unit and uh, getting the right pieces, uh, you know, in here to, uh, to help us, you know, be as successful as we can. And I know he's going to do a great job of that. He, you know, him along with, with Terry Fontenot, who's, uh, you know, the new GM, uh, really looking forward to, uh, to working with those guys. And, uh, and like I said, hopefully bringing a championship back to Atlanta. Right. And you just mentioned him a little bit about Marquise Williams, but I want to ask you a little bit about your former special teams coach, Keith Armstrong. So did you actually get the chance to talk to Armstrong after the Bucs won the Super Bowl at all? Yes. Yes, I did. And, uh, you know, Keith is an awesome, awesome guy. You know, obviously he was my first special teams coach in the league. And I just, I can't speak highly enough about Keith. You know, he, 
he groomed me, right? He taught me, you know, basically everything I know about this position in this game, um, you know, at, at an early age, as far as, you know, coming in to, uh, to the NFL. And so to see him get a chance to right the ship, you know, and to right the wrong that was 2016, I was fired up for him. <clears throat> you know, it was one of those things, I, I sent him a message, I thought about texting him in like the middle of the third quarter, but then was like, ah, I probably shouldn't do that. Right. Let, let me wait. Let me wait. So I, so I sent him a message and uh, told him congrats. And so I was able to catch up with him. And then just a few days ago, out of the blue, sends me a message. He goes, just call me champ. And I was like, oh man, this guy, this guy. But listen, he, he's one of the best in the business and uh, I'm very happy for him and his family. And, you know, he's busted his tail for a long time. And so, this was very well deserved for uh, for Coach Armstrong for sure. Now, Josh, I want to ask you one more thing: Can we get a Division Two sports endorsement for Keith Armstrong to be a head coach, maybe down the road next year? Listen, absolutely. Keith Armstrong is one hundred percent capable of being a head coach. I mean, I tell people all the time: you know, there's offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators, but the special teams coordinator there they work with the entire team. You know, and I feel like they're always you know, position to, you know, be able to make that jump. And uh, Keith is, is, is one of the best, you know, he's an incredible motivator. He's going to hold you accountable, you know, and he's just one of those guys that demands your, your very best. And so I know that if a team were to give him a shot, he would definitely, uh, you know, make the most of that opportunity and be a great candidate. Uh, final question for you is, uh, I know you mentioned a little bit about your off-season training. How have you been staying busy uh, during your off-season? <laughs> well, uh, I've got three kids, all under six years old. So those, those, the kids keep me pretty busy for sure. Um, but with their, their school schedules and things like that, um, there is a lot of downtime, you know, during the off-season. And I love to play golf. So I'll play a lot of golf during the off-season. I love to hunt. I love to fish. Obviously, those, I mean, fishing more so in the spring, but, you know, I haven't really been a big turkey hunter. I'm more of a deer hunter. So, uh, you know, just trying to, to spend time with the family because during the season, man, it's tough. I mean, it's a grind. You're pretty much gone, you know, all day. And then you're gone on the weekends, you know, most of the time too. So uh, to be able to, you know, catch up and spend some quality time with, uh, with my wife, Cameron, and my kids, that's, uh, that's really what it's all about during the off season. Of course. Well, uh, we want to thank Falcons long snapper Josh Harris for his time. A lot of great insight from an inside the locker room perspective. Um, Josh, we want to wish you the best of luck this season and are looking forward to the on the field product. Hey, well, thank you guys so much for having me. Great interview there from long snapper Josh Harris with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and we'll lead right into the NFL free agency period. So the legal tampering period opened on Monday, um, and we'll start with the headline team, the New England Patriots. They got well underway with spending up their cap space, uh, spending over $137 million in guaranteed money. Just absolutely nuts and, and out of Bill Belichick's, uh, you know, cards. A lot of people were questioning it, but with it, some of those signings, include Matthew Judon, the linebacker, and interestingly enough, two tight ends, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Um, but Chris, what do you think about Belichick unloading his wallet at the start of the week? I mean, wow, Bill. Like, damn, save some for the rest of us. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, we knew that they were going to be aggressive and have a lot of money to spend, but, I mean, I don't think anyone expected it to be this kind of uh, brash, um, to put it lightly. Uh, it's very unpatriot-like, and uh, I mean, we, I don't know, we've seen that, you know, building through free agency isn't typically always the way to do things, and, you know, the Jets have, my Jets have been a perfect example of that throughout the years. Um, there's some guys I really like that they got. I, I mean, I really do like that they got Hunter Henry and uh, John Hill. I mean, they're paying their, some money for them, and, you know, they're going to love those two tight end sets, similar to when they had Aaron Hernandez and Robert Krowski, but I don't know, paying guys like Matthew Judon, Jalen Mills, Nelson Aguilar, I don't know. I don't know exactly, you know, if I agree with a lot of those moves and how exactly that they're going to age. So I'm very hesitant to, you know, be positive about the Patriots offseason so far. Well, that's your boy Kendrick Bourne, too. You don't believe in a Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar receiving core? I'm here for Kendrick Bourne. I think Kendrick Bourne is actually a good value signing. 
but uh, but no, not Mr. Aguilar. Yeah, I don't like Aguilar at all. I don't really like a ton of those signings at all, but I do like the two tight end sets. I think that's kind of interesting, but they signed Janu for an absolute checkbook, man. Bill must have got a ton of stimmy checks in today or something. First off the market. I mean, good Lord, man. I, we, we were like kind of, you know, in our heads, like maybe Arthur Smith will go after Janu. Hell no, not for that, though. That's insane. So, um, I'm, I'm happy for, you know, each of those guys, though. They're great tight ends. And, you know, I love seeing the young guys get paid. But I don't really know about the Matthew Judon signing. I think that, you know, that's an interesting fit. We'll see if Belichick can continue, you know, a little bit of his success. I know Judon's production last year was not nearly what it had been the year before or in uh, 2019. So maybe Bill, you know, maybe Bill can bring it back out of him. But last year was a down year for Judon. And, uh, you know, you're bringing in former Eagles that can't even, can't even play there. So I don't really know about those signings with Jalen Mills and Aguilar. I know Aguilar hadn't been there in a little while, but, you know, those guys are interesting to me, and we'll see. But they did take a little bit of a page out of the Jets book, you know, kind of to, you know, just spend all the money they can now when, in reality, you know, it may not be best for them. Yeah, this is from our boy Adam Schefter. In less than 24 hours, the Patriots guaranteed over 170 – or, excuse me, $137.5 million, placing them second in NFL history for most guaranteed money in a free agent signing period. Who would have thought that – Bill Belichick would be the guy to get the second in NFL history for that period. Just unbelievable. But you got to believe with all the returning talent with Hightower coming back, you know, you got Gilmore still back there. You got Patrick Chung coming back with all these free agents. You got to believe that defense is going to be raw again, especially with Bill Belichick at the room. I'm pretty high on the offense too. I think the big winner out of all of this is Cam Newton. I mean, yeah. Cam got his fourteen his fourteen million dollar contract, and I mean, two weapons in Hunter Henry and John, who maybe not necessarily Aguilar the weapon you want, but I think the big winner is to be Cam and that running offense. I feel like they're gonna run the ball very, very, very well this year, no matter who's carrying the rock, whether it be Damian, uh, who's Harris or, or Sony. But I'm very, very confident in that. I I just. I like, I like the mindset, and I think that they need to run the ball because when they were at their best was actually when they were inside the goal line and they were able to use Cam Newton's big body and utilize his running and, you know, his mobility. Um, I think that it's interesting that Cam Newton got a pay raise. Um, I don't know exactly how that works, but, you know, his, his season last year was statistically one of the worst passing seasons in NFL history. Um, I don't really understand how he got a pay raise, but – if Bill sees something in Cam Newton, Bill's going to let him play. And I think that the Patriots may end up signing a guy or drafting a guy. And, you know, he may be the predecessor of Cam Newton, but Cam's definitely going to be the guy next year, I think. Yeah, I think they're going to try and make it as just easy as possible on him by playing good defense and having a great running game. And, you know, Bill's going back old school. I think it might work. Yeah, well, another headline that uh, I think we're all amused by was Ryan Fitzpatrick will be headed to the Washington football team to uh, compete against Taylor Heineke. Uh, you got to love it. I mean, Riverboat Ron, the whole story behind just the football team, you got to love Fitzpatrick going out in the NFC East. And I kind of like that team to come out of that division with that signing. No, I, um, I absolutely agree with you. You're sticking the mud if you didn't smile uh, when you saw this headline. And we're our boy Ben Chavin. This is going to be fun for all of Fitzpatrick's highs and lows. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, with a defense that good, and, you know, Fitzpatrick is a rather electric dude at times, you know, all right, I'm here for it. Let's see uh, exactly how that works out with him and Heineke going into camp with Fitzpatrick probably going to be the presumed starter. But, I mean, it, you know, it, it's not going to – although Alex Smith was very safe, I mean, it's clear that, you know, Fitzpatrick can provide an upgrade at times for that offense. I think this is actually simply based off the fact the way that Ryan Fitzpatrick and y'all can call me crazy if you think this, but I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick plays as a starting quarterback, like immediately, unless there's an injury to Taylor Heineke. I think Taylor Heineke is the guy in Washington. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. I saw enough of Taylor Heineke to give him a little bit of, of a shot based on how good that defense is. And I think that they have enough weapons on offense to where, you know, they're, they're a couple of pieces away. And we've talked about them in the past about how, you know, 
maybe they are a quarterback away or maybe they are, uh, you know, one weapon away. And I think that they should be the clear favorite in the NFC East. I think that Dak Prescott coming back could be the, you know, the comeback player of the year for the Cowboys. But I just don't think that the Cowboys, you know, have a true plan as to what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball still. They fired uh, defensive coordinator Mike Nolan at the end of the season last year. And, you know, Mike McCarthy, that, 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 whole, that whole situation down there is a debacle. And they don't have any money to spend. And they just gave Dak a disgusting amount of money. So I think that the, the Washington football team, excuse me, very well could run away with this division and end up being like maybe two to three years straight if they do this right. I'd agree with you. I mean, if you don't like the football team, I don't know what's wrong with you. There's so much to like on this team. Um, with, with, you know, what they've gone through with the name change, uh, you know, all the other battles. But front four – you gotta love it, and Fitzpatrick leading the realm. Um, you gotta love that in the NFC East. But there's a lot of other signings, you know, pretty minor ones. You had Emmanuel Sanders signed today with the Bills. Uh, Corey Davis heads off to Chris's New York Jets, um, and then you, you know you got a few others. Uh, Blake, what was one of your favorites that we didn't mention yet? Chris, man, I gotta show you some love, brother. Carl Lawson, edge rusher to the New York Jetties. I love Joe Douglas. I am obsessed with Joe Douglas as a general manager. I think that he is he is going to save that franchise. And, Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong when I say this, but McCaganin could not have dealt y'all a worse hand. You have drafted well over the last two years, you being Joe Douglas. Carl Lawson and Corey Davis are two absolutely – Excellent signings. Corey Davis has not seen his best days in the NFL. He was playing at one of the highest levels in the league last year at one point with Ryan Tannehill and an Arthur Smith offense. And then I look at, I look at Carl Lawson and I just see a lot of room for growth with him too. He's a young player and same thing goes for Corey Davis. They, they came in around the same time, I believe, right? I believe so. Okay. So, you know, you're getting youth with these guys. You're not having a, 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 an offseason where you're bringing in Le'Veon Bell and paying a running back, you know, a shit ton of money. You're, you're being smart. You're learning. You're doing things differently. And I really respect what Joe Douglas did, um, did this, uh, this last few days. But I, want to, I just want to mention my least favorite signing real quick. I absolutely hate the Trey Hendrickson signing that the Bengals had. I don't. I think that guy. That guy was the beneficiary of being on an awesome front seven in New Orleans. And if I'm saying they're awesome, it pains me. But they were awesome last year. They were playing at a phenomenal level, not just for part of the season, but the full year. And I think he was the beneficiary of being on, you know, an incredible defense. So they, the Bengals, paid him way too much money. They're not going to be winners anytime soon with Joe Burrow. That, that division is so competitive still with the, with the development of the Browns as well. So I hate that signing. I think it's horrible. But, you know, maybe they see something in them. I don't. Well, let's start. Yeah. Let's start uh, well, Chris, I'll let you go on before I move on to a different subject. Yeah, I'll roll just two signings I thought, uh, you know, caught my eye. Obviously, Joe Thune getting the massive deal for Kansas City was interesting. Uh, I mean, I don't think anyone exactly uh, expected uh, – Kansas City to be in the running for him. And, I mean, I don't know. I went back and watched the Super Bowl today, and, I mean, you know, the guards played pretty decent. It was those tackles that really, really, really handicapped that team, and they just cut, you know, Schwartz and Fisher. So, you know, they're going to have to do something to tackle still to, uh, to uh, in the draft or whatnot to address those needs. And sticking with the O-line, uh, Corey Lindsley, uh, Lindsay, the Packers center, who played outstanding last year to the Chargers. The Chargers addressing some much-needed offensive line problems uh, in order to protect Justin Herbert I think that's going to pay dividends in the long run I think that's uh that'll be a good signing for them and pivotal to uh Justin Herbert's development I agree great investment there but one sign that we uh forgot to mention today that I just absolutely hate is Andy Dalton headed off to the Chicago Bears I mean what is Ryan Pace doing you know he he starts out with signing Mike Glennon drafts Mitch Trubisky uh then trades for Nick Foles and then it's Andy Dalton to solve his problems. What is going on with this guy's head? This is a slow and painful death, it seems like, when it comes to Ryan Pace. I mean, he was, like, at the top when he, made it, when he pulled off the Khalil Mack trade. 
you know, Bears fans love them. And now it is just, it's hard. It's hard to watch sometimes. But it just, it feels like this isn't going to end well with his career in Chicago. Let me tell you what it reminds me of. Do y'all remember when uh, Dave Gettleman was with the Panthers? I know he had some crazy stuff happen or whatever also, but um, Gettleman, he put together that Panthers team that looked so elite for that one season. And then what happened? Exactly. Nothing happened. They didn't do anything. They didn't win. They, they completely plateaued. And then after they plateaued, they, they descended. They went backwards. They didn't go forwards. And, you know, that's what makes good GMs. And that's what differentiates them from bad ones. And, you know, Gettleman's now in New York, so he got another opportunity. Um, but the I, Giants fans just love him up there. Yeah, they, yeah, they really, really, really <laughs> love them. But um, I just really got to give respect real quick also and say that if there's not a statue of Jason Liked outside of Raymond James Stadium in 10 years, then something's wrong with that organization. That dude could not have drawn up a better offseason. And it's literally the legal tampering period, guys. This is bonkers what the Bucs have done and they're they're looking they're looking to repeat and they might win another one the year after and you know we were talking about the Chiefs like this last offseason and honestly it's kind of crazy that Brady went to another conference and you know he's still doing what he can and these guys are willing to uh, play for less because the contracts are bargains yeah they're all bargains yeah so big time respect to Jason Light he's had a perfect offseason so far I agree. The Bucks are just keeping all their guys, uh, and they're just, you know, going right into next season at a, at a good trajectory. I don't understand how they, they're making it all work. I mean, guys, like you said, just taking pay cuts. Um, but, I mean, shout-out to him. Shout-out to Brady for establishing that type of culture among the team. And, you know, the Bucks are going to be hard to stop, as, as you said. Um, but one name that we should still be on the lookout for is Leonard Fournette because – as Chris talked about earlier, the Patriots are going to run the ball, and the Patriots are reportedly heavily interested in Fournette. However, the Bucks might want to still keep him. We'll see how that plays out. But if he were to head to the Patriots, I know that would be a pivotal, pivotal uh, weapon in their run game. Um, so we'll um, look out for that. If I could throw some quick hate somewhere. Y'all like this one. I think the Panthers are assembling the worst offensive line that money can buy right now. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, Eiflin was picked off off waivers by the Jets last year. Decent run blocker, but, I mean, this guy is not the dude you want protecting a quarterback, especially a franchise quarterback if they're in the market to take one. Well, and um, it kills the they, Watson. It kills the Deshaun Watson buzz to me because why the hell would he want to go from one god-awful offensive line to one other god-awful offensive line that's now paid guys way too much money? Yeah, they picked up a tackle, too, I didn't like. I'm forgetting the name right now. but Was it – uh? Moton or Moton or whatever. Moton was the one they tagged. He's actually a pretty good player, but uh, I forget who they uh, went and grabbed. Nonetheless, I don't know. They're paying a lot of dudes that I don't think are very good money on their offensive line. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to be able to protect that, uh, that Bucks front forward that can get after your quarterback. Um, but we will see. Free agency is still open, and I'm sure we'll have some headlines uh, next week. There is one signing. And I feel like we have to mention it or else we will get reprimanded by an unnamed individual. Jameis Winston re-signed with the Bucs or Saints. Close enough. Um, good for him. Uh, yeah. Drew Brees also. <laughs> oh, yeah. Drew Brees is gone, but I respect him still. You're an idiot if you didn't see this coming. Um, <laughs> the Saints as minus 160 odds hit. Um, I'm, you know, angry that I even know what the odds for Jameis Winston's next team are. But they did hit <laughs> as the favorites. Shout out Mr. Lee for seeing the future. Yeah, but, you know, as we mentioned, the Saints are still well over the cap. They somehow, with their quarterback situation, they signed Jameis to a one-year deal, and then they do, like, a voidable contract with Taysom Hill. I don't really understand all, all about how that works. That's I cheating. That just piss people off. They're yeah. cheating. No, they're cheating. They're literally cheating. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand how that works, but the the Saints will have a new quarterback next year as Drew Brees retired, as we just said. Um, so we will see you, Drew. Uh, Adios. Like the Falcons' Twitter said, we will not miss you. Uh, but that will wrap up the NFL free agency segment of our show. Um, and that will almost wrap up 
the entire show. But Blake, before we wrap up, you have some news for us. Is that correct? Yeah, guys, sure do. So uh, April 1st is going to be when the Braves kick off their baseball season. But March 31st is going to be uh, when the actual baseball season will begin. That will be opening day for MLB. Really excited about this season. And we have a very special announcement to make now. Um, we have an interview upcoming next Thursday with Angels number one prospect, uh, Brandon Marsh. He's an outfielder in the organization looking to join a very, very uh, jam-packed outfield that already pertains of Mike Trout and uh, his buddy Joe Adele, who he talks about in the interview. Uh, really looking forward to watching Brandon's growth. And uh, I think he's got some good stuff in there. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to letting the people hear it. That's right. Uh, baseball season is fast approaching. And as we move out of March Madness, we're going to move right into baseball season. Uh, so a lot of stuff to be excited about. Spring football's coming. Uh, we got a lot, a lot of sports coming up. But uh, we'll see you guys next week. Next week we got a great show uh, concerning the Sweet 16. And I'm sure we'll have a lot more NFL news. Uh, but thank you guys for listening to Division 2. Uh, that's all for us. Remember to, remember to support our sponsor, Millie Package. And we will see you guys next week. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to Division 2 Sports. For all Division 2 Sports news, follow us on social media at Division underscore 2 Sports. You can go your own.